Hello, my name is Sam Smith, and this is Map of the Maze podcast from PepTalks, in which I'll be exploring a business theme related specifically to private equity-backed and entrepreneurial companies. Steve, great to have you. Good to be here. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we're looking forward to our pep talk here in Manchester this evening. Steve is the CEO of Travel Counselors, a tech platform supporting 1,800 counselors, travel counselors based all over the world who are self-employed, limited companies, none of them are employees, I think. No. And this, your proprietary tech platform allows them to build businesses, really, independent little businesses, some of them quite big, uh, selling travel services to consumers and to business customers. And you uh, orchestrated a management buyout in 2014. You've been in the business for 10 years. Um, as managing director, it was founder, entrepreneurially led, and you um, bought the business from the founder entrepreneur with Equistone back in 2014. And you've had a great four or five years, four years, um, delivered 20% pretty much year on year organic growth internationally. And you did a secondary deal with Vitruvian last year, the summer of last year. And uh, you more than doubled the value of the business, haven't you, in four years? Which is incredible, really, considering business is, what, 25? 25 years this year, yeah. Yeah. Why don't, why don't we talk about that, that deal, actually, considering it's so fresh, you know, the, the secondary deal? Were you, were you better prepared, having done it once before? Yeah, I think anyone who's gone through that process will say that they, oh, when you do your first deal, you, you might have an under, a feeling for what you're going to go through, but it's not until you've done it that you appreciate the the amount of work and, and effort and uh, detail in the process that you, uh, that you go through. I should say, by the way, I thought your introduction to explaining the business was brilliant. You did a better job that than way. me. That was very good. It sounded really good. It was impressed there. Uh, you know, the first transaction, we were managing a transition from a business that had been very successful, very, very successful, uh, led by, by the founder. And you're managing a transition from that uh, operating style into... Uh, private equity, right? that does mean nuances and, and changes. The second deal, you're managing from one PE to another, but it's a different set of relationships, and you'll then develop, develop sometimes nuances, sometimes transformations of your strategy. So your model will stay the same, but the focus of what you plan to do and the aspirations and the expectations are different with different people. Mm. So I think there were a number of learnings we took out of the first deal that I'm sure people listening have done a couple of deals we'll hopefully be able to relate, relate to. First of all, you, you know what the process is going to be like. So you're just better informed as a seller and a buyer on the sorts of things that you need to get right, just in terms of the process and how you position yourself yeah. and how you manage the, the sale and the investment process, including the documents that all go around, uh, around it. Uh, I think you are more, uh, if you've come from a background of owner-managed, owner-led to PE1 and then from PE1 to PE2, you're more aware of the importance of the board and getting the composition of the board right and getting the board dynamics right. Particularly the role of the CEO Mm. working with the investment partner. And I think this is critical, not just in part of the transition, but actually in the sort of quality of life you're going to have going forward that you put a lot of focus on and it's a statement of the obvious getting the board dynamics right uh, 
it's I think it's sometimes difficult depending on where you are with your own individual career that you might get to a point at times where you know the board is seen as something that you have to go through rather than something that that can contribute to the strategic direction of the business and uh, we were very blessed with uh, our first private equity backer and the board that we built around that uh, it was a hugely positive experience for the business and respectful of the culture with the second uh, transaction it was important that we replicated that in the sense we want respect for the culture which we made sure we got as part of the screening process for, for partners but also making sure you're bringing people into the board who are going to add value to where you now want to take the company which were different from where they were three to five years or so uh, ago so I think that's the big big learning for me uh, that if you can get right is really important is reflecting on, on what makes a good board mm. work the composition of the board that's going to add to your role as CEO, CEO so that you are learning and also it's adding to the to your ability to drive the growth and strategy and increase in value that everyone wants to wants to see I think an experienced CEO will we'll spend time making sure that's right. Yeah. What's really interesting about your business is it, uh, it's, it's a technology-enabled, orientated platform business with coupled with your councillors, 1,800 of them all over the world. So you've actually got a fairly unique culture in your business. There's great loyalty amongst the councillors. I, I guess in the first deal, there must have been a sort of concern of new, new owners, private equity for the first time, professionalising the business, getting it ready for scale, is that going to upset this sort of fairly unique culture that the business has established where those councillors completely believe in the centre, didn't they? And they still do, but yeah. you know, they did believe in the centre and I guess there might have been some risk, I suppose, that professionalisation might have spooked them and scared them off. Yeah, and I think the change from uh, you know, family on to private equity is, is a potential risk anyway, isn't it? Mm. And I think there's there is data around the place that uh, in the majority of cases that, that normally isn't a successful outcome. Uh, I think we were very careful firstly in making sure that the partner we brought in understood the importance of the culture. We, were, we selected our new executives very, very carefully, uh, you know, ma making sure that they were culturally fit. And then I, I do believe, and others may not agree, but you can't over communicate in a time of change and if you don't communicate you've got a void and normally in a void lowest common denominator will win i.e. the most negative voice the bad news yeah, yeah. The, so, the negative. so you've got to over communicate and reassure and be and be visible and like a lot of platform based businesses we've, we, we've got a community that's been there for a long time as you said it was uh, developed and built successfully by by the founder so how can we enhance that community, reassure that that community is not going to be threatened in some way by being part of private equity. And when you do a private equity deal in any, in any business of any scale, you're always going to find someone who's got a brother, an uncle, a sister or a mum who's been involved in private equity and they're all awful and horrible people. Experts, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and you know, we had to deal with all of that uh, and reassuring people to use the cliche, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, is it, over the passage of time do you get a sense that this business is the same? Uh, where it's different, you're comfortable with it being different, you can explain why it's different. And where it's uh, developed, you can articulate why it's developed and why that's going to be better for people. And you have to do that visibly. Mm. Our way of selling is over the telephone or face-to-face. -face. It's a human-to-human sell. 
and the way you build a community is is face to face and you know people listening will understand in terms of building a relationship and having an impact on behaviors words pictures emotions and if you want to get an emotional response people need to see you yeah and look you in the eye and feel your passion so we put a lot of store in over communicating you can fall into a bit of trap of a trap can't you because uh if if you're rattling the saber based on you know delivering year on year organic growth and hitting numbers and records and they don't actually understand the journey or the purpose um because that's very much you know that's, that's, that's the pe ownership driving value into the business and doubling the revenue and doubling the ebitda and improving the multiple but if the people within the business don't really understand why you're doing it and what the purpose is for it then they can easily sort of become disenfranchised and say well this is isn't this a sort of isn't this all about you guys making lots of money and spot on i think you've got to do a couple of things and we did did both i think where you've got uh, where you've had strong leadership the behavioral style gives people a sense of what you stand for and that's important you can embellish that further by making it absolutely brutally clear why you exist mm. uh, and not everyone will agree but I do think the Simon Sinek, Simon Sinek stuff yeah. is good uh, and the why is more important than the what and the how so in the first 12 months of the first transaction we did that we were very transparent about the why is and I think if you spoke to, I'm hoping if you spoke to people in the business they would understand the why and that we care and we care more than anyone else for our customers and our and our people but we made that explicit that question as part of those conferences I explained we focused on the we focused on the why so what we do in the business and remember we are you know we are an imperfect business so we make lots of mistakes uh, we're not we haven't cracked all of this but we are big believers in storytelling storytelling mm. uh, and we reflect all of the fine words that will all trip out as a CEOs about culture's the most important thing and but we we make that real with stories of what we are doing and how it impacts on people and the other thing that we've done more even more over recent years is given a voice to the people that we've got so they create their and tell their own stories so rather than it just being preached from top down it's it's people who are doing the most difficult jobs selling or supporting our salespeople, telling their telling their story and i think that peer-to-peer -peer learning and education inspiration is much more important than anything I can say. And over recent years, I have become an advocate, and not everyone would universally agree with this, and I need to qualify it. I have become an advocate of, uh, uh, of leading from the back. I think John Timpson talks about upside-down management, mm. where it's not about you, it's about how you facilitate others now you have to lead from the front at times in managing change and setting the direction and uh, in tough times being visible and being prepared to do everything you expect anyone else to to do but if you can empower others build a leadership team so rather than creating a band of followers yourself create leaders who create other leaders and if you can give a platform through which people feel comfortable in talking about their experiences good and bad and showing the human frailty in your business i think that just creates those bonds of uh, openness and trust and ultimately what we're trying to do aren't we all of us regardless of the business that we're in we're trying to build trust trust with our customers and trust with our mm. trust with our people and trust is the glue of life uh, and it's the thing that's that binds all human relationships together uh, you do other things though don't you you've got a ideas hub yeah so. we brought i felt we needed 
to ring fence resource on in a, in a innovation. In an ideal world, you don't need that because everyone's innovating, but in reality, it doesn't happen because no. people just get busy. So let's ring, set, ring fence resource for, in for innovation. And the approach to innovation has got sort of four broad aspects to it. A physical resource dedicated to intervention. How many people have you got doing that? Uh, we've got one director solely looking at it. Yeah, and the then innovations director. Yeah, digital innovation director who brings resource in and we created some innovation teams uh, one around talent one around tech and one around another I can't remember at the time but we have created three innovation boards so physically ring fence resource for innovation secondly create links with external educational and academic institutions that you can partner with to commission research in an in a area work that's going to add value to your business and there's government funding available uh, for that. Thirdly, work on your culture so people feel comfortable in coming up with ideas, so that's a cultural uh, thing. And then fourthly, put some tangible things in place to, to ga gather and garnish innovation. So we have innovation message boards and in a day we use Yammer, Yammer. we have an ideas factory on, uh, on Yammer and then we incentivize innovation through those different uh, different channels, and I have to say, you know, on a scale of one of one to ten, where well, we want to be ten, we're nowhere near where we need to be. Uh, but I think the most important thing you can do, if you haven't got the resources to do all of those, is have a culture where people who are closest to your customer feel confident to be able to tell you where you can be better. Mm. And if you look at the attributes of disruptive business models, they uh, they exhibit a number of attributes, but one of, one of the things that disruptive business models have, as opposed to businesses that get disrupted, is they have absolute brutal speed line of sight on customer feedback, direct from the customer or those that are closest to the customer. Because yeah. as you get big, you can get removed from, uh, ultimately what we're in the business of, as Peter Drucker said, is finding a customer and keeping them. Well, the people who are serving your customer are gonna know better than you how you can improve and what their frustrations are. So I think culturally it's important that people who are closest to your customer have got the confidence in your culture to tell you where things are not being done properly that's stopping them providing experience that you want them to provide to your to your, your customers. I look at your business and think it's quite ripe, well positioned for the move towards artificial intelligence and machine learning and things that part of the plan? Well it is, I mean it's it's, it's a really important part of the plan. I think it will be an important part of the plan of every business, along with data. Now, the great thing about AI, as a business, you don't need to invest yourself in creating it. it, it it's very difficult for any business now uh, to compete with the big four tech businesses. Mm. You know, the, the scale of investment that they're putting into R&D is, is huge. What that does provide platforms that you can then use and integrate into yeah. your own systems. Some of it's all open source, yeah, isn't it? That, that can do dramatic things. I think the issue that you've got in running a business is you want both push and pull. So you want push from your tech department about how AI can enhance the experience and you need pull from your users about this is what I'm trying to do and this is where I think AI can help. And you need both. Mm. You don't just want it to be tech driven, but you also don't want your tech people saying, well, I'll tell you what you. I'll give you what you want. And tell me what, when you tell me what you need. That's not helpful. But you do need your users informed about the art of the possible, 
So they're thinking about AI in how they can enhance the experience for the areas of work that they're responsible for. And therefore you've either got to educate them, and they've got to educate themselves, or you've got to bring people in with, that, with those skills. So in our business, you know, five of the directors that we brought in, none of them had travel experience. So we brought in non-sector skills, different types of businesses of different size, to bring some fresh thinking into the business. Working hard to keep the talent that we've got that's been there some, uh, been there some time. Backgrounds they have technology. Backgrounds. Uh, some tech, consumer goods, uh, online. How far off is um, AI from having an um, absolute effect on the business? It already is. Uh, so, for example, we are now deploying AI in our uh, support function. Uh, we've got a bot that is driving some of the service desk demands that get placed on us by uh, our travel counsellors. Uh, Within the next 12 months, I'd, ex I'd expect it had had a radical impact in a positive way in improving the service levels that we are giving our, our people. Uh, and that is going to provide the capacity from a people point of view and also from a cost point of view to make sure that when we're recruiting talent, we're bringing in talent that is adding to the intellectual bandwidth of the business as opposed to getting sucked in into processing of the factory that we've uh, that we've got and that every business will 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 have. I'd have thought within 18 months it'd be visible. It won't be visible to customers, but it'd be visible. It'll be invisible to customers that travel councils will have more time to service their customers because of the quality of the data we're going to be able to serve up to them through our platform. Mm. Like in anything, it, in life, it's a strategic opportunity and a strategic threat. And, we, and this is, you know, we're very clear about this in a way that we want everyone to succeed. And ultimately, we're only successful if our people are successful. And therefore, they're more important than, than me. They're the most important people in the business. If it comes to a war between a, ro a human robot and a real robot, the real robot will win. So if you're acting like a robot, you're not responsive to a customer. Uh, you are processing, if you're order taking, the, the robot will win. If you're human, and if you're proactive, and you show that you care, if you're engaging with a customer face to face or over the telephone, picking up nuances about where that customer is in their life, in their expectations of you, the data that will never be captured uh, online, uh, and then you're using that information in a natural way, not in a manipulative way, to show that you care. Uh, and, it, and it's this is basic human to human stuff. And we've got rules to build in a relationship. You'll be proactive, be consistent, care more than anyone else, create value before claiming. If we promise and then not deliver it, they're not going to use us. Yeah. So if you say you're gonna, you, your model is going to be cheap, you're going to be the cheapest provider. If you're not the cheapest provider, you're not going to get the you're not going to get the transaction. So be clear what model you're in, but then you have to deliver it. Now, the, the challenge in a people-enabled business is, as I said at the start, we are all imperfect. We are frail as human beings, therefore we make mistakes. Yeah. And one of the reasons we're busy in business is because of people. And we have a good day when something goes right with a person. That's great. We have a bad day when something, if everything's gone wrong, normally down to a human, a human being. That's just the joys and challenges of running a, running a business. So in our model, care more than anyone else, don't be a robot, 
show your warmth, love, uh, uh, kindness. Uh, do what's right for the customer, not, not what is right for you. If you don't do that, and you're just processing stuff. The last, last point, at first, transition is very difficult, isn't it? You're taking up something that's you know, got some industry behind it, got some, uh, got some process behind it, and that's, that's quite a difficult thing to get right. So the biggest challenge I think, if you, thought, you say what is the most difficult thing, but the biggest opportunity you can get right, is how do you scale it and keep it intimate and personal? You inevitably will need more process, therefore you will recruit people who are comfortable with process, mm -hmm. and if you're not careful, the process then starts to drive the outcome, and that's not where you want to be. So therefore what you've got to do is be very clear about what outcome do I want from this and then the process drives the outcome and you've got to be, you've got to be absolutely vigilant, animated and all CEOs are constantly dissatisfied with where they are, animated about making sure that you do not let the process start to determine where the business is run. So process is important but as I, as I think I mentioned this last time we spoke, the Netflix manifesto that's available online, 150 page document. I'm not recommending it as a way forward, but it talks about good and bad process. They were absolute, as they scaled, let's be clear what is a good process and let's be clear what is a bad process. And we've all worked in businesses uh, of scale where it's not a great place to be yeah. because the process is dominating. Uh, yeah. and, and getting that balance in what is a good process because you need some of that, but, but not letting the bad process get in the way of people's joy and fulfillment, mm. empowerment. The one, th one thing I've learned from private equity, uh, the, th the six or three behaviors that people are looking for, focus, pace or tempo, and then execution. If you become process heavy, you'll just move slowly, and yeah. that is just not gonna work in PE. Yeah. Well, Steve, that's been brilliant. Great conversation. No, thank you, thanks for the our, chat. Our, our meal is on its way by the sounds of things, so, um, and our guests are arriving, so thank you and um, best of luck. Not at all, thank you, thanks for the chat. You can download our podcast series from all the usual podcast places, or do go and subscribe to the show. We'll be back with another interview next month, but for now, goodbye and thank you for listening.